Let's pray together. Father, we uh, want to thank you today for the privilege that we have to sing and to know what we're singing and to sing it with the joy of the Lord and to sing it in a way that we know is going to remind us of who you are, what you have promised, and what is going to happen. And we may not understand exactly everything that's going on around us, but we do know this, you're a sovereign God in control of all of it, and you're working all things together for our good. You're glorifying yourself, and you're fulfilling everything you have promised in the Word of God. And so with that, we relax in our soul, and we trust you, and we rest in you, because we know that you're taking care of everything, and uh, we can't. So thank you, Lord, that uh, we understand that much at least. Father, as we go through the various trials of life, we don't always have a good explanation. Medical science may not have a good explanation. Our emotions are all over the place. And yet we know that when we look to the throne, we find a God who is not panicked, a God who is not scrambling, searching for answers, but a God who knows exactly everything that is happening, why it's happening, that there's a purpose to everything, and we thank you so much that we can again rest in that. So I don't know why Brother Dale's gone through what he's gone through, but you do, and you have a purpose in it. As I think about uh, Bonnie and the loss of her sister this past week, I don't understand why that happened now, and I don't understand why she and her parents have to go through this. But I thank you, Lord, that you do. And I thank you that you're not caught off guard by that. I don't know why Debbie Ford would come home from the hospital only to go back to the hospital. I thank you that she's doing better. But Lord, you know and you understand. And I don't know why it is that families have turmoil, why marriages go through rocky periods. I don't know why it is that children may rebel. I don't understand why parents may be delinquent. I don't understand why there's corruption in government. I don't understand any of those things except that I know that you do and I know that you're in control and I know that you're glorifying yourself through all of this in ways we cannot understand until we get to uh, be in heaven before you. We will understand it better by and by. So what I'm asking is in the meantime would you give us peace? Would you strengthen our faith? Would you drive us deeper into the Word of God? Would you cause us to hunger and thirst after righteousness because nothing else makes any sense? And then as we are fed on the Word of God, I pray, Father, that you would give us strength to put on the armor, to fight the battles and to win the battles. And would you give us strength to persevere and to carry on so that we can finish well for the glory of Christ our King. And so, Lord, whatever role you have for us to play in this sinful world, we want to do it with honor. We want to do it with dignity. And we want to do it in the strength and the power of the Holy Spirit and for the glory of our King. And it's in the name of our King, Jesus Christ, that we pray this prayer. Amen. Amen. Take your Bibles, please, and let's go to Exodus 34. We're going to back up just a little bit. 
few verses that uh, we really didn't get to cover like I would like to. And I just felt impressed to hit those things again. And we're going to talk about in the renewal of the covenant where God had uh, earlier withdrawn his presence. Now he is going to manifest his presence and be with them as they <coughs> leave Sinai. And as they go through that long, long trek through the desert that is going to end up taking 40 years. And not only that, but even as they get into the promised land and they have those formidable nations that they have to fight, the Lord has promised to be with them. And I want to talk today by taking these verses and talk about how to walk with God because that's really what it boils down to our walk with God. Now, by walking with God, we're talking about living in His presence, living in His power, and living in a way that uh, pleases Him. When you think about that metaphor for walking with God, you go back to the Garden of Eden, and uh, when was it that Adam and Eve were afraid? It's when the Lord showed up in the cool of the day. Apparently, He used to come and have a special fellowship as they would walk with Him in the garden in the cool of the day. We also find in the book of Genesis that there was a man named Enoch. And Enoch, the Bible says, pleased God and walked with God. And then it just ends by saying, and he was not, for the Lord took him. And uh, how would you like to go for a stroll with Jesus and start off at your house and walking in your neighborhood and end up in heaven? And that's what happened with uh, Enoch. We uh, think about this idea of walking with the Lord as we talk about our lifestyle, as we talk about our relationship. In fact, when you read in the book of 1 John, it talks about walking in the light and as opposed to walking in the darkness. <clears throat> that those who walk in the light, walking with the Lord, they not only keep His commandments, but they also please Him. And uh, I heard an illustration of that. What's the difference between the two? Well, if you told your 10-year-old son to take out the trash, uh, you know, get up, get the thing, take it out, put it in the, uh, the dumpster, and your son did that, that would be obeying your commandments. That's what he ought to do. But let's say you notice he's out there for a while, and you uh, wonder, what in the world's taking him so long to get back in? And when he comes back inside, you say, what, what took so long? What's going on? Uh, did you take out the trash? Yeah, I took out the trash. I put it in the dumpster. But I also noticed that inside the trash can was a lot of stuff. And I took the water hose and I rinsed it out because I thought that would please you. Now, that wasn't a command, but it did please the Father. That's something that needed to be done. And we are to live and to walk with the Lord in such a way that we don't just simply focus on His commands... We focus on pleasing Him. What is it that would bring the Lord the most pleasure out of my life, out of my thoughts, out of my motives, out of my actions, out of my interactions with other people? What would please the Lord in my marriage? What would please the Lord in the way that I am parenting my children? What would please the Lord in the way that I work or the way that I go to school or the way that I study for this test? What is it that would please the Lord in the way that I do my finances? You see, a person that doesn't really walk with the Lord, all they're interested in is what are the rules and can I check them off and do the minimum possible? The minimum possible. 
It's like when a teenager comes to, uh, let's say, to Isaac and says, you know, I've got this girlfriend, and, uh, you know, we really like each other, and we don't want to have sex before marriage because we know that would violate the commandments of God. But how far can we go? Well, when you're asking those kind of questions, you're not really walking with God because the person who walks with the Lord wants to please the Lord in everything that they do, you see? And so the motivation of our life should be to walk with the Lord, to please the Lord like Enoch did. In fact, Amos chapter 3 verse 3 says, Can two walk together except they be agreed? And God's not going to change his mind, so guess who is going to have to change theirs? It's you. And you're going to have to change your mind and your heart to match up with the heart of God in order to walk with him. So turn to Exodus 34. We're going to read in just a moment verses 13 through 16. But I want to give you some things to think about while we're reading it, okay? So don't just put your mind in neutral. Think about these things. And uh, notice that what we're going to read about is a call to personal action. In other words, no more passivity. One of the problems that Israel had is they were going to leave everything to Moses. Let Moses do it. Moses can handle it. Moses is a man of God. And uh, this is a call for everybody in the nation to be involved. Just like today, it's not just a call for the pastor and the staff to live a certain way. It's a call for all of us to live a certain way. And it's a call to arms and a call to duty. Secondly, it's a call for teamwork. Okay? We've already said that. I got ahead of myself. Moses could not do this alone. He's going to tell them to do some things that one man couldn't possibly do in any reasonable period of time. But all of them together sure could get it done. And it's a call to trust God's forgiveness. Israel is going to be asked to tear down altars of pagan gods. Isn't that ironic? They had just made a pagan god not too long before this. And these idol worshipers, Israel, are going to be asked to tear down the idols and the altars for idols in the new land in which they go to. Kind of like us, God calls us as sinners to tell other sinners about the good news. God calls us as sinners to live for his glory in front of other sinners. It shows the forgiveness and the restoration of the Lord. And it's also a call for daily practical worship. This is for God's glory in normal, everyday life. God doesn't just want to be glorified on special occasions. God doesn't just want to be glorified on Sundays. This is an everyday thing that he could get glory out of our lives everywhere we are and in everything that we do. And it is a contrast because you were called out of them. Out of them. See, Israel could never realistically, from the standpoint of God, look at the Egyptians or the Canaanites and say, Ah, look at those dirty, filthy, idol-worshipping, disobedient uh, people. You know why? Because that's a pot calling the kettle black, isn't it? They had done the same thing. 
And so their attitude should be different toward God because they have fallen, they have sinned, and He has forgiven them and He has renewed the covenant. And it also ought to be different as they look at the world around them. We are not superior. In fact, we're more like them than we would like to admit. And it reminds us that as we walk in this world, we could be them had it not been for the grace of God. So we always want to remember that. So let's start reading in our text of Scripture, verse 13 of Exodus 34. But you shall destroy their altars, break their sacred pillars, and cut down their wooden images, for you shall worship no other god, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. Lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land and they play the harlot with their gods and they make sacrifice to their gods and one of them invites you and you eat or partake of his sacrifice. We may be in the world, but we're not of the world, folks. We don't want to partake of their sacrifices. Look at verse 16. And you take of his daughters for your sons in her marriage, and uh, the daughters play the harlot with their gods and make your sons play the harlot with their gods. That's exactly what happened with King Solomon, you remember. He married foreign wives, and there's nothing wrong with that except that the foreign wives started worshiping their foreign gods and Solomon, being a man who liked to have peace in his family, his considerable family with all of the women that he married, he went along with it and he compromised on all of these things. All of this has been warned against. Whenever you read from this point forward about Israel's failures, whether it's in the book of Judges, every man did what was right in his own eyes, right? Or whether you read about David and his committing adultery with Bathsheba or Solomon and his worshiping of the foreign gods and on into the prophets and the minor prophets when they are warned and warned and warned and warned and warned. There, this is something that has been uh, told by the Lord to them decades, centuries, way before any of that happened so that there is... Absolutely no excuse. They've been down this road before. No wonder Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes, there's nothing new under the sun. All he had to do was review Israel's history and see, uh, wow, same song, second verse, could get better, but it's going to get worse. And that's the way life is. We tend to repeat some of these things. You and I do it, and our society does it, and it's uh, to our shame, isn't it? So when we read these verses, what is it that God says about walking with him that is uh, spelled out here for us? Well, the first thing, you might want to write down the word radical. You are called to be radically in love with Jesus. You are called to live a radical lifestyle for the glory of God. You've been brought out of darkness into light. That changes everything doesn't it you've been called out of death out of gray out of the grave out of the tomb out of the rottenness out of the grave clothes out of all of that into life you have the life of god in you and god himself lives within you that changes everything 
If you were to go down to a funeral home this morning or to a morgue somewhere and you were to be around the lifeless, you would notice that you are radically different from them from head to toe and in every part of your life. Well, we are living in a world that is, well, a spiritual morgue. And they're dead in trespasses and sins. And your life and my life ought to be radically different from the way that they live. And so God is calling them to go into this new land. And what are you supposed to do? Destroy their altars, break their sacred pillars, and cut down their wooden images. This is an amazing thing. That's a pretty radical thing that they're supposed to do. Now, are we to infer from this that we're supposed to be like... um, Oh, what was her name? Carrie Nation. Anybody remember that name? Uh, She would go around during the temperance movement of the late 1800s, early 1900s with an axe and go into saloons and just smash all of the liquor, the liquor bottles and the bars. In fact, if I remember right, I think uh, there was one in Guthrie that she went to. And um, is that what we're called to do? Well, if you go to the New Testament, you'll see, no, there's nothing where our calling is like that. We don't bomb abortion clinics, even though we are anti-abortion. And uh, we don't, even though we may be uh, looking and saying that uh, homosexuality is a sin, we're not here to discriminate. We are not here to harm. We are not here to persecute or do anything like that toward people who disagree with us. But there is still to be the radical element within each one of us. We don't think like the world. We don't look like the world. We don't act like the world. We're not motivated the way the world is motivated. We are different because we are the children of God, radically changed by the death, burial, and resurrection by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact... There is a sense where we do tear down some altars. We do tear down some idols. You know where they are? In our heart. They're in our life. Arthur Pink says, commenting on these verses, we should wage an unsparing war upon that which prevents us from enjoying our inheritance in Christ. The thief comes but to kill, steal, and destroy. And so he sets up idols in your life and you cooperate with him so that he might steal the joy of walking with God. There's nothing more joyous than walking with God. There's nothing that fulfills your purpose in life more than walking with God. And the devil wants to destroy all of that. So whose idols do we tear down? We tear down those idols as we see them coming up in our life. And so everything that would displace God in our lives and in our affections must be demolished. You can't play around with it. You can't compromise with it. You can't make a deal with it. Every idol, every idol, whatever it is that may exalt itself against the knowledge of God has to be taken captive and it has to be destroyed. Our hearts must be His And he goes on to say, that which comes between the Lord and my heart must be ruthlessly hewn down. Do you deal with your sin like that? 
See, there's something hypocritical about us pointing out the sins in the world, the sins of society, the sins of other people, if we are not going to radically deal with the sins in our own life. I mean, after all, didn't Jesus say, if your right eye offends you, what are you supposed to do? Pluck it out. Was that a literal thing? No. But is he telling us we are to deal with the sin and the causes of sin and the things that lead us to sin radically? Yes, he indeed is, just like he is telling Israel here. In a sense, he's saying to Israel, you can't be trusted around all of this. You've got to root up and get rid of all of it. Don't let any of it remain. You know, with it being spring and you guys are cleaning up your flower beds and gardens and all of that kind of stuff, isn't it aggravating when you think you've got all the weeds pulled up? only to find out you left just enough for them to sprout again. That's the way sin works in our life. It's got to be dealt with completely. Matthew chapter 12, verse 30. Whoever is not with me is against me. That's a sobering statement. And who does not gather with me scatters. Luke chapter 14, verse 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children... And brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot, he didn't say might not or will not, he cannot be my disciple. Well, I think you would agree with that, that there's a certain way that we understand that. And uh, there's a symbolic and comparative aspect to those verses. But nonetheless, what is the Lord calling us to? A radical obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. So how does that measure up with your life? Well, you know, I fit Jesus into, you know, some of the places of my life when he can and when it's convenient, then you're not walking with God. Do you tolerate sin in your life? Then you're not walking with God. This is something that is a radical call. Number two, notice in the very next set of verses that God is saying to Moses that this walk has to be God-centered. You see, so many people today, they go to church for what they can get out of it. Well, I'm sorry, you're just wrong if that's what you're... I hope you get something out of it, but that's not to be your focus. That's self-worship. That's idolatry, in other words. You come to church to worship God, and hopefully He blesses you and you get something out of it, but He has to be the focus of life. Sometimes we say, well, I'll give God this part of my finances and the rest of it's mine. No, it's all got to be His focused on Him. We do that with our time. We do that with our entertainment. We do that with relationships. Everything has to be focused on Him. In fact, some people say, well, I got married because I had needs and I want to have those needs fulfilled. No, you got married for the glory of God. And the important thing is not, are you happy? The important thing is, is God being glorified in the way that you're responding even to your mate's sin. Glorifying God, glorifying Him, a God-centered life is what it takes. Now, he says here that his name is Jealous, and he says that he is a jealous God, a jealous God. How are we supposed to understand this? Well, for one thing... Keep in mind, it's God. Whatever God does is right. And however God does it is going to be holy. What's the difference between me letting jealousy eat up my life and God being a jealous God? It would be, number one, that I'm not God, so I can't handle it. It gets out of control. 
in a, in, a, in a fast way. It turns ungodly very, very quickly when it's in my life. But keep in mind that God is holy and he never sins. And God has a way where he can be a jealous God without sinning. But there's a third thing. I did a lot of study on this word. In the Old Testament particularly, when it's translated out of the Hebrew, the word jealous could be translated, most of the uh, uh, lexicons I looked it up in, use the word, you ready for this? Zealous. I am a zealous God, he could be saying. You know what a 21st century word for that could be? Passionate. There are some things that God says, I am absolutely passionate, zealous, jealous for. And don't mess with those things. Because if you do, I'm going to have something to say. God is not a passive, yawn, look the other way, no big deal. Not, not when it comes to particularly certain things that he mentions in the scripture. Let me give you a few of them to think about. When we think about the jealousy of God, let's uh, think about this. The Bible says that he is jealous for his glory. Jealous or zealous for his glory. In fact, he puts it like this in Isaiah 42, verse 8. I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory I will not give to another, nor my praise to carved images. You know why? Because he's jealous for his glory. He's not going to share it with you. He's not going to share it with a false god. He's not going to share it with this world. And he will be glorified. And when you mess with that, you're messing with the jealousy of God. He's also jealous for the affection of his people. He calls you and me to love him. And when we don't love him, it stirs up that zealousness, that passion. It stirs up that jealousy within him. He's not going to let us as his children love anything or anyone more than we love him. He's jealous for the affection of his people. Jeremiah chapter 3 verse 20. Surely as a treacherous wife leaves her husband. So have you been treacherous to me. O house of Israel declares the Lord. Well what does that stir up? If you had a husband or you had a wife. And they left you for somebody else. Or they're having an affair with someone else. Would you just look at that and say. Oh well that's life. You, it would stir something in you. They are to love you. And God says, you are my bride. You are my children. You are to love me with everything you've got because I have done everything for you. Jealous for the affection of his people. He's also jealous just simply for his people. In Zechariah chapter 1 verse 14 it says, So the angel who talked with me, said to me, Cry out, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I am exceedingly jealous for Jerusalem and for Zion. Boy, you mess with Israel. You mess with the land that God has given them. You mess with God's purposes and try to thwart those purposes. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, God have mercy on people who are anti-Semitic. God have mercy 
on Palestinians who would lob rockets into the land of Israel. God have mercy on terrorists who would try to disrupt them and try to kill them. God have mercy on those who would attack Israel and try to conquer it. God says, I am jealous even for the land that Israel has. Why? Because that's the land he swore to Abraham and he takes his word seriously. You get that? God is jealous for his people. Think about, he said, they're the apple of my eye. Whenever you mess with the Jews, you're poking God in the eye. Well, let me tell you something, church. When you got saved, you were grafted into Israel, according to Romans chapter, I believe it's 10. And when the enemy messes with you, God notices. When ungodly people mess with you, God notices that. When you're treated unfairly and judged unjustly, God notices that because he is jealous for you. In other words, he's got your back. And he's also jealous for justice. In the book of Nahum, chapter 1, verse 2, the Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries and keeps wrath for his enemies. Malachi chapter 1 verse 6. A son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? It's a good question for us, isn't it? And if I am a master, where is my fear, says the Lord of hosts, to you, O priest, who despise or take lightly my name. God says there is going to be justice, and he notices whenever he is not treated right, whenever other people are not treated right, when the law system, when the system of justice doesn't function properly, God notices, and he is going to set it in order one of these days. So what God is saying here is, hey, Israel, quit messing with me. Quit treating me like you would treat an old shoe. Quit treating me in a way that you would not want to be treated yourself. And yet God's people do that all the time. We expect other people to be faithful to us, and yet we're not faithful to God. We expect other people to be committed to us, and yet we're not committed with God. We expect other people to do right by us, and yet we don't obey God. And on and on and on we could go. And that's what God is saying to them. Hey, you've messed with me with that golden calf thing after all I've done to you. Don't do it again. There will be consequences. Okay? So the third thing that I notice is to walk with God, you have to walk in loyalty. This is a call to forsake everything else and to walk with God and to walk with Him alone. Because He says, I don't want you to make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land. Why? They don't belong to me. You've got a covenant with me. You don't need a covenant with them. You've got an agreement with me, an alliance with me. You don't need it with them. Because the temptation was going to be, you know what, if we could just make an alliance with the Jebusites, that would just make us militarily stronger. 
And God is saying to them, that is a slap in my face. You are saying that I am not sufficient. You are saying that I'm not able to keep my word toward you. You're saying that I will not defend you. He calls that treason. You're looking somewhere else. That's what Eve did when she was asked by the serpent, as God said, you shall not eat of all of these trees. Oh, yeah, we have just that one, just that one. And in the day we eat thereof, we will die. And the serpent goes, you're not going to die. In fact, God knows that if you eat from that, you will be like gods yourselves. Wouldn't you like to be a god yourself? And ever since then, mankind has been trying to do things, handle things, and find security and strength and power and significance outside of God. And that's what God is saying here. I want you to be loyal to me no matter where you are. Loyal to me no matter your circumstances. Loyal to me no matter what the saber rattling you might hear from somewhere else. You hold on to me. Be loyal to me and do not make a covenant with them and don't play the harlot with them towards some other God. In Matthew chapter 4 verse 10, then Jesus said to him, be gone Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only, circle that word, him only shall you serve. And our problem is we've got too many gods. We may say we believe in only one true and living God, and that would be right. But our problem is we treat so many other things and other people as though they had the place of God or a semi-place of God in our lives. And we're making covenants and agreements with people and things that we have no right to do that because our trust and security is to be in the Lord and worshiping, bowing down, serving, honoring, and obeying Him and Him alone. And fourthly, if you're going to walk with God, did you notice that the terms that are used in there are sexual type terms? Playing the harlot, prostitute. And he wasn't saying you're going to be with a prostitute. He's saying you are prostituting yourself. And we don't understand that whenever we sin, whenever we do what we know we ought not to do, whenever we fail to do what we know we ought to do, whenever your conscience twinges you, whenever the Holy Spirit kind of convicts you, you know, I probably shouldn't do this, or I probably ought to do that. If you disobey, you are a spiritual prostitute. That's what he's saying. And that's why he says our walk is to be in purity. And it's interesting that in almost all of the cults and false religions, there's some type of sexual attraction, sexual perversions. Have you ever noticed how many of these compounds and cults spring up and they've got this Messiah figure, David Koresh in Waco, for example? And this Messiah figure tells them what God has told him. The first thing you ought to be suspect uh, about, because he's not going to the word of God. He's going to personal revelation. Sinful, wrong, in error. And the second thing that he will do is say, oh, and by the way, I get to sleep with whoever's wife I choose. Have you ever noticed how often that comes up? Have you ever noticed how often the bondage, I mean, the bounds of marriage are torn apart and the bonds that God has put 
on sexual activity are just ripped off. It doesn't matter with whom. It doesn't matter where. It doesn't matter what gender. It doesn't matter anything at all to go on like that. Well, that's the way the gods of the ancient world were. Some of those idols that we mentioned, phallic symbols and other things like that, very, very, very sexual. And uh, so he says, you are to walk with me and you walk in purity. See, you can't walk with God and be on internet porn at the same time. You can't walk with God and be having an affair and flirting with a co-worker at the same time. It's just not possible. You can't be walking with God and have your mind filled with garbage at the same time. It doesn't work because walking with God is purity. He doesn't want you to go and take their daughters for your sons and then when his daughters play the harlot with their gods and then your son plays the harlot or prostitutes himself with their gods. Purity is what we're called for. Purity in everything. First Thessalonians 4, 3. For this is the will of God. Well, that must be important then, right? Here it is. Your sanctification. You're to grow in holiness. Grow in the grace and knowledge of the, of the Lord. Now, just in case you're not in tune with this sanctification thing, Paul goes on to make it clear that you abstain from fornication, sexual immorality. That is a broad-termed word, fornication, that could include anything from sex with an animal all the way to homosexuality or pornography. In fact, the word here that is translated uh, fornication or uh, sexual immorality is the word porneia. Hear anything in that? We get our word pornography from it. God's will is that you grow to the point that you abstain from sexual immorality. So let me just ask you a couple of, a few questions here and then we'll be done. And may God the Holy Spirit add his blessing to the reading and preaching of his word to our hearts today. Is your Christianity comfortable or is it radical? If your Christianity allows you to take a snooze in the sunshine and just kind of, you know, be free and easy and all of that, you're not walking with God. This is a war. This is a war. And you better quit being AWOL from the war. You better quit leaving your weapons behind and your armor behind. This is a war. It's not supposed to be comfortable. Do you live for your desires or the glory of God? You know, some people can't tell the difference. Some people think that if I like it, God must have been glorified. Not necessarily so. And which, which is it? I hope you enjoy glorifying God, but His glory has to be the priority over your desires and your enjoyment. We get the cart before the horse. Is your Christianity characterized by loyalty, faithfulness, and commitment? Or are you living an off and on? My goodness, I see so many people living an off and on life. You ever heard of Facebook? You ever seen somebody quoting scriptures? Saying things about God? Saying that they're praying for other people? You ever seen that? I have. You know what I've also seen? A post a week later where they use foul language and even use the Lord, Lord's name in vain. Bitterness. Bitterness spewing out of all of that. 
Well, James put it this way. Bitter and sweet don't flow from the same fountain. You know that. We know that. Don't play the game. We've got to quit playing the game. Loyalty is what we're called to. And then, is your Christianity leading you to a lifestyle of holiness or sin? And we live in such an age today where people say, well, we're all under grace. That is true. That is true. Well, we've been legalistic in the past. I would agree with that. I've had some things I've had to lighten up on because the Bible doesn't address them. Some things that I might have been too hard on. But grace never leads to sin. Grace never makes allowances to sin. Grace leads you out of sin into holiness, folks. Leonard Ravenhill said, Smart men walked on the moon. Daring men walked on the ocean floor. But wise men walk with God. So my question today is not are you smart, not are you daring, but are you wise? Is your Christianity real? Is it deemed authentic? Do you have a certificate of authenticity attached to you that the demons of hell can see? And is that shown by the way that you live because you are a person that walks with God? Now, first of all, you've got to be saved in order to do that. So if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior and Lord, you need to get on your knees today and ask Him to forgive your sins and, and trust in the death of Christ on the cross and His resurrection as the payment in full for your sins. And then God will graciously forgive you and give you a new life as you confess Him as Lord. And then you can walk with Him. But it is possible after you are saved to stray. It's possible to kind of sit on the sidelines. It's possible to kind of start walking on a different path. And this is a call today just like it was to ancient Israel. To come back to walking with God in a radical way. To come back to walk with Him in a God-centered way. To walk with Him in loyalty and commitment. After all, He is your Lord. You've confessed Him as such. Act like it. And to bring you to the point to where you walk in purity. And that is all I have to say. And that's why I say may the Holy Spirit bring understanding and grace and peace to your heart. That's the best I can do. But it's truth. And may the Lord himself drive that truth home into your life in a way that will change you. Don't you want to be changed? Aren't you tired of being the same? Aren't you tired of the same old, same old? Well, we can't manufacture anything different. It's got to be the work of God. Father, we pray in Jesus' name for the Holy Spirit to do a work in each one of us, whether it's saving the lost or calling us to the walk with God that we know we ought to have, that we've strayed from and made excuses for. May it stop today for your glory, by your Spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you.